Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello, fellow Groovers. As you fully expected when you pressed the podcast button saying the big interview with Graham Hunter, this is Graham Hunter with the big interview. Head of the Champions League final at the Wanda Metropolitano in Spain's capital, here's the second of two scatological, sometimes humorous, but football-based conversations I recorded with two exceptional colleagues of mine in my life as a football journalist and broadcaster, podcaster, debonair, kind of modern-day Cary Grant. Yesterday's, I like to call it a chat, with Johnny Northcroft focusing on Liverpool, they're the other team in this final, had you noticed, is still available to you. Today, it's Duncan McMath, who sits beside me in the studio at La Liga Television. And Duncan, well, let me put it like this. If I'm Pinocchio, he's Geppetto. Because Duncan is the filmmaker who read um, the book that I wrote, uh, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World. And Duncan, reading that book on his honeymoon, felt a tingling inspiration and made take the ball, pass the ball. See it now. Jonathan spoke about Liverpool from his perspective as one of the UK's leading football writers. With Duncan and Spurs, it's all heart, or indeed, quite heart lane. Here's my chat with him. He was in France at the time, so if occasionally his Maurice Chevalier accent becomes impenetrable, stick with it. He's all North London, and an it all. At the start of next week, we'll bring you a review of the Champions League final as we bring this season, 18-19, of the big interview to an elegant, gliding close. Enjoy this podcast. Enjoy the final. Thanks for being there. We do this for you. And a special shout-out to Frankie Valley. And um, if Johnny Northcroft wasn't enough of uh, an angel delight for you, we'd move straight to the trifle now in that um, some of you might not have known, although he's told everybody in the world, that the, the much lauded and very prestigious director of the frankly quite beautiful film Take the Ball, Pass the Ball, Duncan McMath, is a firm part of the Cockrell Chorus and is um, champing at the bit to be in the Metropolitano for Spurs versus Liverpool in the Champions League final. Um, Duncan J. McMath, Spurs in the Champions League final. What the, what the, I say again, what the bloody hell? It's ridiculous, isn't it? And, and I woke up the other day thinking, bloody hell, we're going to win this. Um, I really think we are now. Honestly, I really think we are. It's just dawned on me that we're, we're, we're probably definitely going to win. So, 
Well, three sentences in, but, and I you've gone to an, an Oasis album title. In that <laughs> it's gone from definitely <laughs> to probably, probably well, that's definitely. Been our, that's been our season. We were probably definitely out of the group, and then somehow we scraped through that, and then we were surely going out against City and, and somehow managed to get through to the semis against Ajax. And, and as you know, Graham, because you were with me, um, in Amsterdam in the 94th minute, I was completely happy that we'd battled in the second half, that we'd drawn the game 2-2, that, you know, at least we'd put in a better performance in the, f- in the first leg when we were pathetic. And I was quite happy to be, to be going home or going out in Amsterdam after the game, obviously, with, with a feeling of, ah, oh, come on, well done, Spurs. Like, we've, we've put in a good performance and, and um, we've shown we can play football. And then suddenly, 95 minutes and one second, Lucas Moura slots in the, the third and it was... Just I just I can't explain that that feeling. It was just um just incredible. For a boy brought up in, in the beautifully manicured um Walton on the Wild or Chipping Com Sodbury or wherever it was, you were down in, in Whisper Green, yeah. Well Whisper Green, aka. If if I have to put something to you, you should probably be a Brighton fan, in in all honesty. So what I'm leading to is Duncan, why Spurs? Um, well, I, it was one of those that I didn't have a choice. My uncle was a big Spurs fan, um, and my uncle lived in South Africa when I was a kid, so I only saw him twice a, twice a year. And he was he was the kind of he was the fun uncle that um, would come over and, and bring a Spurs shirt or play cricket in the garden with me for an hour. So he just my dad was more of a rugby man and and more into cricket. So. When Uncle Alec came over, it was all Tottenham, and I don't really remember the reason, but it was purely because Uncle Alec was Spurs, so I had to be Spurs. Who would have intrigued you first as a, you know, whenever you could remember um, watching Spurs, and I don't mean at the lane, probably first time you must have glimpsed them on TV, who would have caught your eye first? Um, First Tottenham game... um, was Gary Lineker scored a hat-trick and he scored one with his head and I remember everyone making a big deal that he scored a header. Um, so, obviously, Gary Lineker, to start with, was was the, the hero and the player that everyone wanted to be in the playground. Um, Gaza, of course, in those days. Um, I, I had a penchant for David Howes. <laughs> um, he was Spurs central midfielder and he actually went to my dad's school as a kid so he came back to the school to open the, the, the summer fate sometimes. So we got to know him and he got us one season, he got us into the players' lounge and that was extremely exciting as I went around hassling every Spurs player who was sat with his girlfriend having a pint for a photo and an autograph. <laughs> um, I remember Darren Anderton's girlfriend was absolutely stunning. Um, yeah, so uh, that, was, that was the time when you had... Posters of the footballers up on your wall. I had Spurs monthly every month and it was all a bit of an obsession. Everything was Tottenham. I remember playing for Heron Olympic, a football team in Horsham, and everyone was a bit cooler than I was because I was from a little village outside of the town. And I turned up in a full Spurs kit, socks, shorts, shirt. And it was basically... <laughs> it was my equivalent of full kit wanker before everyone, anyone knew about full kit wanker. And I remember, yeah, that was, that was a bit embarrassing. Always, always ahead of the times. Yeah, I took a, I took a poster of Alan Nielsen into the hairdressers and said I wanted my hair cut like him. That was, uh, that was another one. But he, he did have very and good Norwegian, hair. I don't know if, Norwegians we have loved. I don't know if oh, you remember. Outstanding. 
and also it's like it's like these cagoules or or sort of jackets. These they're reversible name, didn't they? Because he could just as easily have been Neil Allenson and still been Norwegian and still have played for Spurs. He'd have probably been a bit. There's better. no question about that. Did he score? Did, I mean, I'm going to make this up. Did he score? He scored against Leicester. A goal in a cup final. He did. Yeah, in a cup final. He did. George Graham's year. Horrible, scrappy little header inside the six-yard box, but it was the goal that won us the the League Cup first first cup that I remember celebrating because I don't really remember '91 as as sad as that sounds. Describe if you were to go go back to your first visit to White Hart Lane then, um, and sort of close your eyes. What, what did it sound like? What did it smell like? You know, if you go back to those really first like ingrained primeval memories of your first exposure to the stadium of the club that you supported? I remember we hadn't bought tickets, so I remember being in the queue to buy tickets and the queue was quite long and we were getting closer and closer to kick-off time. And I remember I must have been seven or eight and I remember being furious with my dad for not having thought ahead and bought these tickets because it was getting too close. I obviously wanted to be in there when the team came out and warmed up, etc. And it was getting far too close for comfort. Um... But it was, um, it was against Wimbledon. I think it was three two, and and Lineker scored a hat trick, um, and it was it was it, it, obviously that moment when you walk up the steps and and White Hart Lane was and, and is. I haven't been to the new one yet, but I can't wait. Um, was a stunning ground, very very small, too small for Tottenham, obviously, but thirty two thousand, and it was packed every week, and and. It was such a beautiful stadium inside. Um, the pitch completely surrounded, not like the old Highbury. Um, and as you stepped up, that, that view of the pitch, but everyone's had that feeling and you still get that feeling when you walk into a big stadium, when you walk into the new Wembley and you, and you see it for the first time when you walk up from, from the inside of the stadium. It's, it's, just a, it's one of those indescribable feelings. But I remember being outside. I remember the buzz of the Spurs fans outside and that was... That was my first memory of I want to do this every week. Um, that that was that was very cool, and we did get the tickets. I remember they were seventeen quid, and my dad complaining because we took my sister and she fell asleep. Um, but <laughs> he's always been pragmatic with money. <laughs> Any football fan will never forget their first match. But it was it was the buzz outside, and it was the horses, and it was you know coming from a, a village. It was probably one of the first times I've been in London, and just the the amount of people and everyone with a Spurs scarf or a Spurs shirt and everyone sort of, you know, you're, you're just in line with everyone that's attending the match and it was just a real feeling of community and, and the, the buzz around the stadium as a kid. That's what I remember as being really exciting. Cut to the um, Amsterdam Arena, the Johan Cruyff Arena. Several yeah, we years later. Many there, but we were enough. Yeah, but there was, a, there was, it was that same feeling of queuing in, um, good-humoured, um, noisy, quite a good laugh. Um, Spurs fans, it, that day at least, it's it's been a long time since I've, I don't know if I've ever uh, watched Spurs as a punter before, rather than professionally. Um, but they seemed a sort of, um, as a fan base, they seemed sort of quite long-suffering, ready, like you said, to be proud of their team if they, if they gave it all, but not necessarily um, taught to be hugely optimistic. No, definitely not, and despite, despite the run this season in the Champions League. Um, but I was, I was at Madrid when we lost. Uh, Crouchy got sent off after like 
five seconds. And it was and it was that Harry Redknapp team that when we were really high in confidence and, and okay, it was it was Real Madrid and it was more of a kind of I mean it was almost like tourism for Spurs fans because it was like wow, um, you know we're actually playing Real Madrid in the Champions League. This is Tottenham. This is incredible. Um, but since then, I don't think it's it's the same feeling. You know, we're, we're in the Champions League because we deserve to be there. Um, we're we're playing excellent football. We're one of the best footballing sides I think in Europe at the moment. Spurs in the Champions League final. Would any have said, anyone have said that at the start of the season? Probably not. Um, especially when you looked at the group. Especially when then we drew City. Uh, when we got Ajax, there was a chance, but then that home performance was was pathetic. So then kind of that took everyone's enthusiasm out of it again and, and optimism. So I think you're right. I don't think many people were queuing up outside the ground expecting us to go through, and especially when they scored that first. And, yeah, I think genuinely everyone thought we were going home. Um, and it wasn't until the second half, tactical switch from Poch, um, half-time team talk that certainly worked, and suddenly there was a sense of optimism again after the, after the first goal. But even, like I said at the start, even... Even when that second goal had gone in, when Jan Vertonghen hit the crossbar in, on 86 minutes, I thought, well, that was our chance. That's, that's it now. But, you know, at least we've put up a fight. Good for you, Spurs. Like, I'm proud. I, I could go home proud as a Tottenham fan that in the semi-final we put up a fight. And then suddenly, as you know, uh, 95 minutes and we're hugging just about everyone in the Spurs supporters' end. Yeah, although <clears throat> I think a lot too much credit has been given to Lucas, um, Lucas Moura. I suppose it's because of lack of information, because bad choices in life are always to do with education and lack of information. But too few people seem to understand your role in uh, putting Spurs in the final, given that I'm, I'm quite sure that um, you and Mrs. McMath had, had done something special, magical even, by attending Jersey Boys, um, the musical, um, in, in New York. Uh, hadn't you? And come away rather enamoured with Frankie Valli. And, and therefore, I, I kind of feel that you probably started the uh, "Oh, what a night!" phenomenon that is, is going around Tottenham fans at the moment. Is, is, am I am I onto something there? <laughs> I, I love the fact that that night um, we've just got into our first ever Champions League final. Um, Lucas Moura scored one of the most dramatic hat tricks in football history, and the song that we sing more than any other song is is about Arsenal playing on a Thursday night because they're shite. I just <laughs> I just think. It's just brilliant. It, just, it? it sums up the yeah, exactly. It sums up the personality and the sense of humour of, of of football fans. Um, oh, what a night watching Tottenham on a Wednesday night. You play Thursday because you're fucking shite. Can I say that? What a feeling! What a <laughs> it's night. Too late now, isn't it? Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. So yeah, was it Frank? Was... was it Frankie himself who, who adapted the lyrics? Was it you? I mean, I think I think Frankie gave permission for a rewrite. When he realised what it was for, you, you're a, you're a talented broadcaster as well as a talented director, and you know you 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 communicate things about football for a living. Give give those who are listening your feelings, your assessment about Poch. I nearly said too good for Tottenham, which isn't the right thing to say as a Spurs fan, but it's how I felt about Gareth Bale. Uh, we came to a point where Gareth Bale had outgrown the club and. To be quite honest, as a journalist in Spain, I was very happy to see him join Real Madrid. And I felt, felt he deserved that move. Mm. Poch, I think, is genuinely top two, three managers in the world. And it pains me to say he's too good to, for Tottenham. And, of course, we're in the Champions League final. But 
I mean, the reality is we're not one of the top two, three teams, clubs in Europe at the moment. I mean, if Poch stays another five years um, and we actually start signing players, uh, we've got the best facilities in terms of training and stadium of any club in Europe. Um, we just need to be performing financially uh, at the same level as Real Madrid, Barca, um, Man City, PSG, um, even even Manchester United and Liverpool have, have spent a, a huge amount of money, much more than than we could dream of in recent years. Uh, so we're we're absolutely not fighting on that level, and Pot should be. That's why I think about Pochettino. Um, he is a genius. He's 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 brilliant. He plays a, a fantastic mix of attacking and possession-based football that I don't think really anyone else has quite. Um, able to play, I think. I mean, it, a lot is said of of what he gets out of the youngsters, but that's due to his personality and his patience. He spends a lot of time at the training ground. He's a he's an extremely professional and dedicated manager. I think he ticks all the boxes. He's clearly a, a brilliant man, motivated. Just look at the second half against Ajax, and look at the way we've come through the Champions League as as underdogs on so many occasions, even in the group stage. Uh, we managed to squeeze into that top four, albeit um, largely because Arsenal was so shit at the end of the season, which was, <laughs> which was lucky for us. But, I mean, I just think he, he's a manager that is able to do a bit of everything. Um, and on top of that, I think we're playing the best football that I've, I've seen ever in my lifetime as a Spurs fan. We're in our first ever Champions League final. We've got a chance of winning um, the Champions League and beating Liverpool, which I think we'll probably do. Um, we've managed to hold on to the likes of Harry Kane and Christian Eriksen, uh, touch wood, until now anyway. I think uh, the job he's done is unparalleled, certainly in terms of success at Tottenham Hotspur. You know, no one's ever got us into this position in the past. I think as a man motivator, he's, he's a genius. I think um, getting the best out of the youngsters, he's, his performance is unparalleled. Maybe you'd look at Alex Ferguson, um, but other than that, there's very few that have managed to do that. I, I think that's, he really is that good. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. You've touched on sliding door in moments there because, you know, you owe... Um you owe this enjoyment this season at least and this final that we're previewing to you know the strangest of situations you and I were out with a mutual contact 
during this season after some sort of professional function, I can't remember what, and we went to El Trobadores um, in Enrique Granados and sat there listening to him tell us about a sort of society wedding in Madrid last summer, just after um, Zidane had quit Real Madrid, and telling us that Poch was invited and um, both uh, Jose Angel Sanchez, who's second command at Real Madrid, and Florentino Perez were there. And they were saying to Poch, you know, if you hadn't renegotiated with Spurs and omitted to put a buyout clause, you'd be the Real Madrid manager today because we'd have paid the buyout clause and, and you were our number one candidate to succeed Saddam, which one... I like these little uh, domino theory sliding door moments from which other things happen or fail. You know, it can go both ways. But um, it also meshes with your feeling about whether Poch might or might not outgrow your club. Yeah, and and I think there is a danger of that. Um, You know, he must feel extremely proud of what he's done over the last five years at Tottenham because he's transformed the club. And he's seen it through a transitional period in terms of the new training ground, in terms of the new stadium. But he, sometimes you can see a club through a transitional period and you can maybe um, get them into Europe and, and, or stop them from being relegated or, or whatever it is. But to have, to have done all that and got us into the Champions League final without a signing over, over a full season is, is magical. So... That's what I mean, my, Madrid... Madrid. Like based on that anecdote from um, you know a first-hand witness, Madrid could have been a logical destination for him last summer had he had a buyout clause. Yeah, and it still could. I mean, let's see what Zidane does. I mean, Zidane, let, let's face it, could be a failure. I mean, the next six months could be disastrous at Real Madrid, and, and then we could be talking about this again next summer. Don't you think? I do. I do actually strongly believe that um, the omens are bad for. Zidane right now, it's crucial that they have a very good summer. And and we're talking about a different Madrid. We're talking about Metropolitano, the Champions League. And I just introduced the theme because you you know, you you're you know, your club's gonna be within ninety minutes of winning the Champions League, partially because Poch didn't have a buyout clause. And I could see him managing Real Madrid, and I could see him managing Real Madrid utterly successful because the the range of capabilities that you've been describing that he's got, plus um, the fact that he's both he's a rare breed these days in that he's obviously brilliant one on one with people, but he's also an exceptional coach, good good at actually te- teaching, and 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 pretty brilliant in strategic terms too. He's shown that at each of his three senior clubs. I don't think there's any question about that. So maybe let's celebrate the present. Um, Construct me the the case why you've you've oscillated a little bit from de- waking up definitely winning then probably definitely to, and then you know which we're probably going to win which I'm not sure if you were conscious of saying. Um, construct me your case. Um, I did this to Johnny too, not based on um, your side, but more meshing the two. Where where and how are Spurs having lost two one twice to Liverpool this season? In fact, they've only played in one final together. And our mutual friend, Spurs legend Steve Archibald, scored that day uh, in the League Cup final of 82 um, when Liverpool went on to win 3-1. Good old Stevie. Good old Stevie, yeah. And only ever played once in Europe, which again Liverpool won on away goals. Um, You know, you won 2-1 at the the lane, they won 1-0 at Anfield in 1972-73. In the semi-final of the Europa League or UEFA Cup then, build me the case... Um, 
where Spurs can do damage to Liverpool on Saturday night? Well, to start with, I mean, we're talking about two very different teams. And, and, you know, as you know from our La Liga TV programmes, I'm the first to dip into stats and look at the past. But Mauricio Pochettino's Tottenham and and Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool are very different sides to, to any teams that have played for Tottenham and Liverpool over the last couple of decades, I'd say. Um, And if you look at the last four seasons, so when Liverpool have been building and, you know, in in order to be at their best and and Tottenham the same under Poch, Liverpool are magnificent. As you say, they've beaten us twice this season. Both games extremely close, 2-1, they scraped them both, but, yep, they've won both. But you look back, the three previous seasons... Four draws and a win each for Tottenham and Liverpool. The win for Spurs, mm-hmm. 4-1. The win for Liverpool, 2-0. Other than that, four draws. You know, these are two sides that don't particularly like playing each other, I don't think. They're, they're going to give each other a really good game. Um, I think we are one of the worst uh, sides that Liverpool could have played in this final. We're much more intense. They're not going to... Um, what was it, Ernesto Valverde described them as almost like... Um, he said there's a, there's a battle call from Jurgen Klopp and, and the players suddenly charge into battle. And that is how Liverpool play. You know, they, they catch you on the counter-attack. They're, they're so intense. They're so aggressive. Um, and they just go at you for 10, 15-minute spells. Whereas Tottenham are a side that push high and press under Pochettino. were extremely well organised. Um, and I think that Liverpool will not find it so easy to to reply to that battle cry from, from Jurgen Klopp. Um, obviously, Spurs will try and challenge them for the possession. Um, we'll, try and, we'll try and hold on to the ball a little bit more. We're also a side that can play very, very well on the counter. I think it's going to be a magnificent game of football. I think they're two sides that fully deserve to be in the Champions League for the philosophy of the way they want to play and for how they've acted it out over the last season. You know, they're, they're two brilliant footballing sides. We've got a fully fit squad. Um, Harry Kane's back. Whether he'll start or not, that's a big question that I assume you'll be asking at some stage. Um, poor old Lucas Moura after that hat-trick. Probably will start on the bench, won't he, I'm guessing. But I think we've got so much quality running through that side. I think it's been a brilliant window of um, training um, and relaxation over the last 10 days, two weeks, that um, we've been able to get players back fully fit and focused. I think Deli Ali coming the end of the season was just starting to show the player that he really is after what's been a really disappointing campaign. Um, Sonny's obviously had a, a wonderful season. I'll put this to you, by the way, Graham. Sonny scores a hat trick in the Champions League final. Ballon d'Or, right? <laughs> oh, Youngman's song. Um, I'm not going to refer to him as uh, Songy. Um, yeah, I'll go for that. Yeah. Yeah, Song Ballon d'Or. Have there been Korean winners before? I can't remember. I would, um, I would guess not. I suppose that his, um, his performance at home to Man City wins him that for you on its own. And I like the way you, you constructed your case there beautifully. Um, and no, I wasn't going to ask you about fitness or about Lucas um, because we're not about growing strains on the big interview. And we're more about where you where and how you're going to, I don't know, shave your head, get a tattoo, um, paint your cat pink, because it's just about 10 years. I'm, I'm, I'm talking Primera Fila, obviously. And um, when Mauricio Pochettino saved Espanyol from relegation back in 2009, in the build-up to getting them away from the drop, 
He said he would walk to the mountain range or the beautiful jagged mountains just uh, north of, uh, northeast of uh, Barcelona called Montserrat. And um, it, it's got religious connotations. And he did that walk, didn't he? Which I think is a sort of eight, nine, ten hour walk. I, I'm not entirely sure. So if, um, if Spurs win this thing, the cup with the big ears, for the first time ever, what, what's your uh, Montserrat? What's your Pochettino moment? What will you do if? Well, Pochettino went up Montserrat um, because Espanol were failing. And I can't quite remember the numbers, so you're going to have to bear with me. It's a bit like um, listening to a conservative politician on the news. Like Some of this will be right, but most of it probably <laughs> won't. But basically, Espanol right at the bottom of the table, and they've got something like 10 games to go. And I think they're maybe, they've won four games all season and there's something like seven points from safety. And he's just, you know, he's just joined this club where he'd been a player at and Espanyol very much is in his heart, as we all know, and that's why he'll never go to Barca. He goes up to Montserrat, which, as you say, is a monastery. He speaks to one of the priests um, and says a prayer. And having won just four games in 28... Espanyol then go on a run of eight wins, one draw and one defeat. The one defeat against Atletico Madrid away and they finished 10th in the table. It was the most remarkable turnaround anyone's ever seen in the division. And it all happened just after Mauricio Pochettino took a little trip up to the monastery. So um, I, I'm guessing he must have done that this season again because by, by the way our results have gone, especially in the Champions League, it, it, definitely, um, it definitely sounds like uh, he probably did. What will I do if we win the Champions League? Well, as you know, Graham, I'm working on the Women's World Cup, so I'm in the north of France at the moment, unable to go to the final, which is slightly disappointing. However, it's going to be a magnificent tournament. I can't wait. Quick fire round. Um, you haven't got a buzzer, so I suppose just make whatever sound you think is appropriate. Nice one, Cyril. Number one in the charts long before you hit this earth. Um, what position did Cyril Knowles play? Centre-back. That'll do me, that'll do me. It might have been a full-back, but defender will do me. Um, you only get a half point for no buzzer sound. Um, Favourite Spurs player ever? Stefan Freund. No, that's a joke. Um, Favourite Spurs player ever? Whoa, that is a difficult one. David Howells is obviously excluded. David Howells is up there. Uh, so too is David Ginola, um, as one of the most exciting players I've ever seen live. But it has to be King Ledley. King Ledley, whoa, there's a good one. Go back and listen to uh, Ledley on the big interview, folks, if you haven't already. Very bright, very articulate. Talks about the cage where he played um, football in his North London estate with his mum looking out the window to take care of him. Um, Ledley talks as well as he played. Then the final thing I suppose I've got to say is, um, scoreline, please. Four. Um... I'm going to go it's going to be it's going to be tight obviously um, I'm going to go 2-1 Spurs I kind of deliberately didn't lie um, but it, it seems that I do have one more question when um, when we did when we made uh, take the ball pass the ball I think the second interview we ever did was Eric Cabidal correct and um, as you know I, I was having a bit of a bad day there because of the the cameraman tutting in my ear as I interviewed Cabidal which gets a chippy Scott, very uh, chippy indeed. But I managed to get a smile on on the day by asking him about, was it the anecdote about him having 
played in spring at Wembley of 2011, having come back from his cancer operation and left a note to himself in the dressing room saying, I'm coming back here in May. And he confirmed it was true. And I also remember that um, Yuri Geller, who um, was very fond of the English national team in Euro 96, left crystals in the corner of Wembley so that you know, otherwise there's no danger England were beating Scotland. And um, the ball, when Gary McCasler was about to take that famous penalty for 1-1 against David Seaman, which Seaman somehow saved, booted up the pitch in Gaza, it bounced in off Gaza's ear or something, I can't remember the exact nat- nature of the goal. Um, Yuri Geller phoned Gary McAllister afterwards and said, that was me. And when I was interviewing Gary McAllister for the big interview, Yuri Geller phoned him then too during the interview. Now, I, I explain all of this because... <laughs> You've been on the Champions League final uh, pitch, and quite quite recently too. Have you had a little Jimmy Riddle, or what's what have you done to help your mighty Spurs onwards on Saturday night, if if anything? Ah oh, man, I'm thinking now. I sh- I should have left my crystals, shouldn't I, in the corner of the pitch? <laughs> Gutted. I can't believe it. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that far ahead, folks. Um, and there you have um, the the big interview version of who do you think you are, the genealogy thing. Duncan's always been quite pragmatic with his crystals. So this has been the Spurs version of the Champions League um, final preview. Um, The big revelation is that when Duncan was in the players' lounge at uh, White Hart Lane, the players' wives all drank pints. You must have a wonderful uh, Women's World Cup. Um, It's the breakthrough moment for women's football being recognised as absolutely fantastic in standard um, and colour and organisation. It will be absolutely brilliant. Um, My dearest, fondest hope is that Scotland open the tournament beating England and then in the third group game beat Federico Ardiles' Argentina at uh, Parc de Prince in Paris. Um, As far as your teams are concerned, well, whatever. Spurs legend Steve Archibald mentioned in this, if you're... In London on the 1st of June, which is match day of the Champions League final night, uh, go to Orient. Steve Archibald is taking part for both Spain. I don't think you know this, Duncan, but it's, it's the Walking Football World Cup. And Steve, ah, yes. Steve's, yes, yes. Steve's registered to play for Spain and Scotland in two different age categories just to have a chance Brilliant. of lifting the World Cup. So the perfect... that's, a, that's a Di Stefano, isn't it? Didn't Di Stefano <laughs> manage to pretty much do the same? Di Stevio. Um, in which case, maybe, maybe the perfect Saturday for you at least is Steve Archibald lifting the World Cup in the afternoon and I suppose Captain Harry Kane lifting the Champions League final trophy after a 2-1 win for for the mighty Tottenham and Frankie Valley cheering on from the main stand. Come on, you Spurs. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.